You're listening to sermon audio from King's Cross Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information about King's Cross Church, you can visit us online at kingscrossraleigh.com. Today's sermon text is from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said, They are filled with new wine. This is God's word. Good morning. Hi, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at King's Cross Church, and it's a, it's a joy to be together. It's a joy to, to be able to open up the scriptures and um, study God's word together. Um, if you're new with us, we, we just started a series in Acts. Chad kicked us off last week in Acts chapter 1, and I'm picking up right there in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. If uh, yeah, we'd love for you to, you to be able to follow along in the in the scriptures. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the resources table back there. Feel free to to grab it so you can follow along. Um, as as we started, I just have a question for you. What's the most magnificent way that you've seen the Holy Spirit work? That you've seen God God work? I think as as Christians, all of us should be able to to say, you know, we've seen God work in our own lives. We just we just saying about you know chains being being broken chains of of sin that that used to to dominate us maybe they're they're broken and sins you used to struggle with you don't anymore some of us have have seen even more magnificent works maybe we've seen miraculous healing you go to the doctor and um cancer's gone you don't really know why i i know a um a family from our, our sending church in Magaday, and they, they're serving in, in a country in Southeast Asia, and they have seen the magnificent act of God where, where people are coming to faith in, in droves, and they don't really know why. They don't really have a... There's no explanation for why people would risk their life to come to faith other than the Holy Spirit. I lived in Pakistan growing up, and um, there was this, this area in western Pakistan that was that was suffering a, a major drought. It didn't rain for, for years at a time. 
and then Christians would come to this area and they would pray for rain and it would rain. And then it wouldn't rain when the, <laughs> it wouldn't rain when the Christians were gone. They would come back, they would pray, it would rain again. We've seen the Holy Spirit work in mighty ways. We see God work in mighty ways. But all of those kind of pale in comparison to, to this. To this coming down. This is a one-time thing. This is literally changes the course of human history. The church now, there are billions of people that, that worship Jesus all throughout the world. I got on, um, on Google Earth just to see what, what city would be the farthest away from here, from Raleigh. It's actually the middle of the Pacific Ocean, but um, Perth, Australia is kind of the farthest major city, the western side of Australia. There are Christians there. There are Christians every city between here and there. You go across the other direction, you go across Africa. There's Christians in Africa, Europe, all over. Before this, before Pentecost, before the Holy Spirit came, there was a few hundred there in one room together. You know, verse, verse 1 here, when the day of Pentecost has arrived, they were all together in one place, all of them. Now they're spread throughout the world. So the Holy Spirit came here, and it changed everything. It changed history. This is a, a monumental moment, monumental text, and so I'm going to ask for the, the Lord's help that we would be able to get all the, the nuggets of truth out of it that we can. So I'm, I'm going to pray. Father God, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for the power of the Spirit that we can, we can trust that he works in us. And he, he breaks the, the chains of our sin. He gives us power in the, in the gospel power to, to proclaim the magnificent acts of God. Pray that we would see more and more magnificent acts of, of you working, of you drawing people to yourself, people from every nation under heaven. Father, we love you. We're so thankful for Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. So my main idea for us today is, is that the Holy Spirit comes in power and he uses people to declare the magnificent acts of God. Follow up to that. When we see the Holy Spirit work in power, it demands a response. We can't see that kind of power and ignore it. We either have to be changed by it or completely reject it with lies. So we're going to look at this story in four pieces, alliterated for us in the D words. So, number one, verse, verse one, there's a bit of a delay. You know, Jesus has left, he's ascended, and he says the Holy Spirit's going to come in a few days. So there's a little bit of a delay. And then the dissension, the Holy Spirit comes down on the disciples in a powerful, visible, audible way. And then declaration, the Holy Spirit enables the disciples to speak in different tongues, and they declare the magnificent acts of God to all those who have gathered together. And then finally, decision. When we see the Holy Spirit work in power, when these people, this, this crowd, sees the Holy Spirit work in power, they have to decide whether they're going to follow it, whether they're going to accept these magnificent acts as the works of God and orient their lives accordingly, or if they'll reject it, or if they'll sneer, as it says. So let's dive in. Verse, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. So a few context things from, from chapter 1. 
remember that, that the book of Acts, it's kind of part two. The book of Luke, that Luke wrote the gospel, you know, he says that that was about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so Acts, you know, it's traditionally called the Acts of the Apostles, could just as easily be titled the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the Acts of God, because we see God working. The Holy Spirit is, is the main character throughout the book. You know, it focuses on Peter for a little bit, Paul for a little bit, but the Holy Spirit is, is throughout. As Luke says in chapter 1, verse, verse 3, you know, Jesus is, is preaching about the kingdom of God. And so this idea of the kingdom of God, it's, it's continuing. That's what Jesus was preaching about in Luke. That's what, you know, he, he made it happen. And we see it here in, in Acts as well. So when the disciples ask in, in chapter 1, verse 6, they say, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom of Israel, or the kingdom to Israel at this time? It sounds a little bit like, a, like maybe he's, he's deferring when he says, it's not for you to know times or periods that the Father is set by his own authority. But he's not, he's not blowing them off. He, he's telling them the formula of how it's going to happen. You know, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he gives them the outline. So when they ask, are, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? The answer is yes, the kingdom of God is here. It's here in Jerusalem right now, and it's going to spread to the ends of the earth. And then Jesus ascended, and they're waiting. So this is a few days later. The word Pentecost means 50th, because it's, it's 50 days after, after Passover. So Passover was, was right before Jesus was crucified on the, the Thursday night. And so this is, this is probably about a week after Jesus ascended. Luke says that, that was, Jesus was preaching for 40 days after, after he was resurrected. So this is a few days later, maybe a week later. You can imagine the disciples, as they've been waiting, the nerves they might be feeling. Like they've seen Jesus' powerful acts. They saw him live faithfully his whole life without ever sinning. They saw him die on the cross. They saw him resurrected. And so they trust him. They know he's powerful. But they don't know when the Holy Spirit is coming. They're nervous. They might be wondering what, what they should do with this time. Should I go back to, to fish some? Should I go back to my life? Should I bring my family here? How long is it going to be? So there's this delay. But they don't have to wait much longer. Here in verses 2 through 4, we see the Holy Spirit come in power. I'm just going to read these verses because it's, it's crazy. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So the Holy Spirit is, is descending, and we see here that there's clear audible evidence, visible evidence, and miraculous evidence of the Spirit coming down. So audible, rushing wind. You hear a sound like a rushing wind. We know that, that wind can be powerful. Hurricanes, tornadoes. When, uh, when we were in college, Jessica and I, there's a tornado that came right through our campus. And um, we were 
we had eaten dinner. We were playing pool in the in a student building, and um, and they came in and they said, "Go hide, like go get under the." And so we went into the missions building. We or missions office hid under some desks. We were waiting. It was pretty quiet, and then we heard windows crash. They're broken. When a tornado comes, it, it sucks up all the air outside around it, and so all the air that's inside the building, like it has to go out to even out the pressure, and so it blasts out the windows. So we heard the windows crash, and then we heard the rushing wind of the tornado. I say it sounds like a, a train. As we went outside, we saw the devastation of the tornado. Trees falling down, power lines falling down. And so when you hear rushing wind, you expect to see that kind of thing. But the Holy, Holy Spirit sounded like rushing wind, but the disciples didn't see things blowing around. It just sounded like rushing wind. There's audible evidence of the Spirit at work. Something is going on there. There's visible evidence. It looks like flames of fire. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. You know, we, we expect to see fire in, in very specific places, very specific ways. We see wood on fire, or we know that something's burning. Sometimes magicians will, will do fire tricks, and it looks like they're holding a ball of fire, but we know that there's actually something that's burning. But that's not the case here. The Holy Spirit is, is showing himself in fire, and, and nothing's actually burning. It looks like tongues, flames of fire, and it, it comes and it separates on one of them. And then we see miraculous evidence that the Holy Spirit is there at work. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. There's no logical explanation for that. It's not like, you know, in the, in the Matrix when they, they can, like, program you to, to know how to do Kung Fu or something like that. We can't program, you know, how to learn a new language. We can't even do that now. But the Holy Spirit is at work, and it's miraculous. Hopefully you, you feel the, the momentous, the monumentalness of this, how this is a, a crazy situation where the Holy Spirit is at work. Let's look at a couple things in here. First of all, focusing in on the, on the fire. When God shows himself in fire, that's, that's significant. We see a few times John the Baptist, he predicted that this would happen. You know, he says in, in Luke chapter 3, verse 16, he says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit in fire. So this is that promise coming true. We went through Exodus in the spring, and we saw God show himself in, in fire in a couple particular ways. You know, he comes in the burning bush, and he meets Moses. He reveals Yahweh as his name. Reveals his character that, that he is the God who is. who never changes. The way we see fire in Exodus is, is when he comes to the tabernacle. He comes as a pillar of fire. He guides the people, and he rests on the tabernacle. So we see that fire is, is a way that God comes to, to meet mankind comes to meet Moses in the burning bush. But there's a sense where, where the people have to come to. They have to come to God. Moses has to go to the burning bush to talk to God there. The people have to come to the tabernacle to worship God. But that's not what we see here. 
We see that the Holy Spirit shows himself in fire and then rests on them. He comes to them. One other thing I want to point out here is that this is a unique situation. This is the one-time coming of the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like a, a baton pass from, from Jesus as he, he's done his ministry right there in Israel. And now the baton passed to the Holy Spirit, to the church. Now it begins to spread throughout the, the nations. So this, when the Holy Spirit comes, this is unlike anything else. We see later in, in Acts, in chapter 10, the Holy Spirit comes to the Gentiles, and he, he gives them the, the same power to speak in different tongues. But he doesn't come in the same way there. You know, it says that while Peter was still speaking these words, this is Acts 10, starting in verse 44. The Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. They heard them speaking in tongues and declaring the greatness of God. Peter responded, Can anyone withhold water and pre- prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? So the Holy Spirit comes down and gives power to the Gentiles too. But it's not like this. It's not like a rushing wind that draws people in. It's not like flames of fire. So this is a unique situation. And then one other thing I wanted to draw out here is that the Holy Spirit works purposely. He gives the disciples this particular power for this particular reason so that they can declare the magnificent acts of God. All these devout Jews from every nation they're coming to Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit enables them to speak the truth about God to speak about the the magnificent acts of God for his glory so now the disciples responsibility is now that they have that power to declare those magnificent acts so that's what we do after the delay verse 1 after after the Holy Spirit descended, he gives them the power and they, they declare these magnificent acts of God. So the next section, declaration, verses 5 through 11. We see two particular things about this in, the, in this section. We see that the Holy Spirit draws people into his work and we see that he works with people where they are. So verses 5 and 6, they're Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. So the Holy Spirit draws people in with this, with this crazy sound. Our family was watching um, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid not too long ago. I don't know if you guys remember that. It's, um, the movie's almost as, as old as I am. Um, probably older than a lot of you. Um, so it's about this crazy scientist dad who has this machine that... Um, you know, is is able to, it's a, it's a sequel to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. So he has a, a shrinking machine, and now he's working on this, this blow-up machine. Um, and he tries to to um, blow up the, the kid's bunny, and the kid wants to get his bunny. He's a little toddler. And he goes, and he gets hit by the machine instead. And so every time he's around a electromagnetic field, he gets bigger. And so at one point, he's like eight feet tall, this toddler, this one-and-a-half-year-old. And, a half year old. and um, as toddlers do, you might know, he 
he kind of stomps around and he grabs his toys and he makes a lot of noise. You can imagine an eight-foot toddler is going to make a lot of noise. So he's in the house and he's making all kinds of noise and neighbors are walking by and they hear, what is going on in that house? First, there's, there's two runners. They, they're waiting and then people keep walking by, keep walking by and this crowd forms around this house. I imagine that situation is pretty similar to this. The sound like a rushing wind inside a house. Like, what is that? This crowd is, is gathering. And then the disciples come out and they start speaking in all kinds of different languages. That's a crazy situation. The Holy Spirit has drawn these people in and now he gives them the opportunity to, um, to hear the magnificent acts of God. So let's look at, at Pentecost a little bit. This is another way that the Holy Spirit has drawn people in. So verse, verse 1, you know, it says when the day of Pentecost had arrived, that, that phrase had arrived, it could, could be translated as had been fulfilled. You know, it's the, the same kind of idea of when Paul in Galatians 4.4, 4, he says that, that Jesus was born at the, the fullness of time, when the time had been fulfilled, when the day of Pentecost had, had been fulfilled. And so this is a unique Pentecost. Pentecost is a, is a harvest festival. It's called the, the Feast of Weeks because it's a week of, of weeks, seven weeks after Passover. You know, I mentioned earlier, it's translated as 50th. It's also called the, the Festival of First Fruits because it's right at the beginning of, of harvest time. So Israelite farmers would be able to get their, their first fruits from their harvest and they would bring it to the temple to worship. And so it's, it's this pilgrimage festival. And so it's a unique time. And when people are coming from all over, from all these different nations, they might even come from Passover to Pentecost. They might just stay for a couple months. You know, travel's not, not easy back then. They, they would have to walk and ride donkeys and whatnot. Even now, if you're, if you're traveling overseas, you're, you're going to go for a while. Like you're not going to make a day trip to India. And so these pilgrims have come, devout people from every nation, as Luke says. So this is a unique opportunity that, the, that Luke has, is showing, that God has brought together all these people. And it's clearly important to Luke that these nations are listed. You know, he spends several verses just listing people from every nation. He doesn't literally list every nation. He says devout people from every nation under heaven. But the, the ones that he does list are from every direction. I pulled out a, a map. Can you get the map on the screen? Um, so these are the, the nations that, that Luke lists, right? So he says, you know, at the beginning, Medes, Parthians, Elamites, Mesopotamia, those are kind of northeast. And then over here in Asia Minor, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Cappadocia, Asia, Pontus. Um, you have Judea that's right, right near Jerusalem. And then Cretans, Arabs, kind of southwest, Crete's west. Visitors from Rome, Libya near Cyrene, Egypt. So literally every direction, northeast, southeast, east, north, northwest, west, literally nations from every direction gathered together for this perfect opportunity, this, this time that Pentecost had been fulfilled. So the Holy Spirit draws people into his work. 
And then the Holy Spirit works with people where they are. So both the people that he works in and the people that he works through. So the disciples, the people that he works through. These people, they, they hear they hear each of them speaking in their language, but they know. They say, look, aren't all of these speaking Galileans? So it's clear that you know, the Holy Spirit hasn't replaced the disciples. They're, they're still distinct in who they are. The Galileans. When, um, when my father-in-law comes to the U.S., he, he'll go to a Thai restaurant. My, my in-laws live in Thailand. And um, he'll go to a Thai restaurant, and he'll talk to them, and he'll sound like he's Thai. They're amazed because they're like, who's this, this white guy that is, just sounds so Thai? That doesn't seem like that's the case here. It seems like, you know, they're speaking these different languages, but they're still distinctly Galilean. It's still old fisherman Peter, tax collector Matthew, zealot Simon. They're, they're still who they are. I want us to, to just think about, you know, how, how meaningful it is for these people to, to hear the magnificent acts of God in their own language. There's something particularly special about that. There's mission organizations that are dedicated to translating the Bible into languages that don't have the Bible yet. They'll spend years, first before they even go, years learning Greek and Hebrew to be able to translate. They'll spend years there learning the language. When, when we live in Pakistan, there was a woman that knew this one language better than any Westerner. She had been spending years beginning to translate the Bible. This language, when she got there, didn't even have an alphabet. It was a completely oral language. So she developed an alphabet for them, began to translate the Bible, and as she began to have particular stories, she worked with um, some other missionaries to, to develop radio programs. And so, you know, there, there was one time where you know, for the very beginning, the very first time in this language, a radio program came out and it was a story declaring the magnificent acts of God for the first time in this language. You can imagine there might have been somebody that, that came to faith through Urdu, through the, the local language, or the, the trade language, but this is their mother tongue, their, their heart language. And so if they hear this story in this new language, and they're, it's just special to know that, that God speaks their language too, right? And so the Holy Spirit is working in the disciples to show them, to show all these devout people, exiled Jews that have come back, that he speaks their language. He's for them. He used the disciples. He tore down the language barrier to make his way known. So just like he uses the disciples, he works with us too. He works with us where we are. You know, a couple weeks ago we were looking at Romans chapter 12. We saw that the Spirit has given us gifts to use. Those different, di- those different gifts match who we are. All right, some people are, are generous and they have the gift of, of giving. Some people are just natural servants. Some are gifted in, in showing mercy. And all of these gifts display the glory of God. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says that, that these gifts are given 
so that the body of Christ can be built up, grow into maturity, build up into, into Christ, our head. Another way that we wouldn't necessarily call spiritual gifts, but he's given us the ability to connect with, with certain people, people that we have things in common with. We're able to, to communicate and, and kind of speak the heart language of. So as we have opportunities, let's, let's identify where the Spirit has gifted us. Let's identify where he has drawn people in. And let's work there. Let's look for opportunities to, to reveal who God is and reveal his magnificent gifts. We have a book. Um, it's called, uh, it's a kid's book. It's called Maybe God is Like That Too. Ruth was reading it not too long ago. And one of the phrases in there, you know, it says, After dinner, I work on my homework while Grandma stands at the kitchen sink, washing dishes and humming to herself, just like she does every, every single night. That's what faithfulness looks like to me. Maybe God is like that too. And so we have ways to show what God is like as we live out the fruit of the Spirit. What does faithfulness look like? Maybe God's like that too. What's kindness look like? Love, joy, peace, patience. I shared this quote um, before, but, but it applies here too. It's, I heard it on a, on a podcast. And it says, you're the only you there's ever going to be. There's something about you that can reveal something about God in a way that nobody else can. So there's a way that you can reveal the magnificent acts of God and how he has created you, how he has designed you, in a way that nobody else can. So as the Spirit came down, as he enabled the disciples to speak in different tongues, this is a link in a chain that we see throughout the Bible. All the way back in, in Genesis chapter 1, God tells Adam and Eve to fill the world. He tells Abraham that every nation on earth, every family on earth will be blessed through him. <clears throat> we see in Revelation 7-9 that every tribe and tongue and nation is going to be worshiping God around the throne. And the Holy Spirit does that. Right here, this is, this is a milestone moment. <clears throat> of every nation under heaven coming, having the opportunity to, to hear these magnificent acts. <clears throat> so the Holy Spirit will make that happen. It's true. And so now we come to the last section, decision. We have a chance to either join the Holy Spirit in his mission or reject it. So verses 12 and 13, they were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But some sneered and said they're drunk on new wine. When the Holy Spirit works in power like this, you can't ignore it. <clears throat> it says they're all astounded. <clears throat> me. They're all astounded and perplexed. There's so many situations where the Holy Spirit clearly moves. You know, I shared a couple at the beginning. There's no reason to ex- to explain why people would come to faith in Southeast Asia, in China, where they're literally risking their life. So you either have to accept the truth or you have to reject it. It's kind of easy to reject it. You can just make this, this nonsense excuse like they're drunk on, on new wine. 
if you do even the tiniest bit of investigation, you know that that's, that's not true. Right after this, Peter gives, you know, an equivalent answer. You know, they're not drunk because it's nine o'clock in the morning. Not that, you know, that doesn't explain it, right? Everybody saying the same story, hearing the same, hearing disciples speaking in their own languages. The only way that you can make that kind of nonsense excuse is if you are rejecting the, the truth, right? That, that type of thing, you know, it, it bothers me so much. Like, I'm a, a natural problem solver, troubleshooter, right? In my job, I'm, I'm kind of a tech support thing, and so I will, I will go into a problem all the way to the bottom to figure it out. And so, you know, I like the phrase, a thirst for knowledge, because I have a thirst for knowledge, and I just need to know why this problem is happening the way that it is. And so, you know, if somebody says, well, you know, it's just whatever. They're drunk on new wine. I'm like, no, that doesn't make any sense. We have to figure out what is really happening. So I will, I'll just get stuck. I'll just keep going on the same problem until it's resolved. So the only way that I could make some kind of excuse like this is if I know that accepting this truth is going to change my life. It means that I can't live the way that I want to live anymore. And these people that sneer and make these excuses, they're thinking the same thing. They know that if the Holy Spirit is clearly at work, if Jesus that they rejected really was raised from the dead, really changed everything, it's going to cost them their way of life. And so we have the same kind of decision point. When we see the magnificent acts of God, when we know the truth of the gospel that that Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected, there's no explanation for that other than God. And so we have the opportunity to either accept that truth or reject it. We know that it's costly to accept it. You know, our, our church is called King's Cross Church because we want to follow after Jesus in taking up our cross, knowing that he sacrificed everything. He gave up everything. And we want to do that too. We want to follow after him, taking up our cross, be, being willing to sacrifice everything for him. So the Holy Spirit is working. He is advancing his kingdom. He is working on that mission. We have a chance to, to join him in that or reject him but we know that it's all or nothing. We can't go halfway in. We can't say, okay, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do, but, but first let me get my retirement squared away. First let me get married. First let me finish renovating my kitchen. First let me let my kids get through school. We don't have that option. It's all or nothing. It's now. I was reading, uh, we went to the the beach this past week for a few days, and I was reading a biography of Adoniram Judson, who was one of the first American missionaries. He went to to Burma, to Myanmar. And he wrote a 
a letter to his, his would-be father-in-law. It's, it's a pretty famous letter. I, I, was, um, I, I had it in my book, and I didn't want to type it all out. Um, so I started to Google, and I typed Adoniram Judson, and one of the first options was letter to father-in-law. So it's pretty famous. Um, but he wrote to his father-in-law, and he asked his, for his daughter's hand in marriage. And the way that he said it is kind of the, the, the idea that I want us to have that we are willing to give up everything. And so he, I'm, I'm going to read this letter. Keep in mind it was written a couple hundred years ago, so the language is a little bit old, but um, hopefully you can follow along. <clears throat> I have now to ask whether you, consent, whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world, whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all of this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory? with a crown of righteousness, brightened by the acclamations of praise, which shall resound to her Savior from heathen saved, through her means, from eternal woe and despair. So that's the kind of sold-out dedication to God that I want for us. To consent to part with anything in our life. Knowing that our Savior left his heavenly home and died for us for the sake of the glory of God. Jesus gave up everything for us, so we should be able to give up everything for him. We have seen magnificent acts of God, and we have the opportunity to declare those acts of God to anybody who will listen. Let's do that. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for who you are, Lord. I thank you for the magnificent way that that you work magnificent power that we see so clearly in in this text and so clearly in our own lives you've broken every chain there's salvation in your name you're a living hope Lord I pray that you would help us to, to live with that hope to live looking towards the future of devout people from every nation worshiping you every tribe and tongue and nation. I pray that you would help us to to see the opportunity to, to be part of that mission. See where you are working and, and allow us to, to join you in that. Allow us to, to show who you are in the way that, that we can, that, that you've uniquely gifted us in. Thank you so much for, for Jesus and, and for the way that he made a way for, for all of this to be true. It's in his name I pray. Amen.